Hi. <laughs> a moment of silence for the other recordings that I've done that Anchor has lost today. Good afternoon, my renegades. Welcome back to Rogue Radio. My name is Sarah Jane, if you haven't already heard. Yeah, okay. It's been a while. I missed you guys. So let's jump into the trenches. Let's sort through the muck. Let's have some fun. As always, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns, concerns, all right, don't be shy. Contact me on the links in the description down below. Thank you very much. Next up is politics. Yay. And guess what the first story's gonna be? I know most of y'all heard of this before. Um, how Biden kind of falsely claims that the reason that COVID is spreading more and there's more variants coming out and all this stuff is because of the unvaccinated. So we're going to jump into that story. And for those of you who do not know, all of my sources come from, from OAN News, one American News Network. They have their own, some accurate, non-biased material for any type of news. Go ahead and download that app. Anyway, Joe Biden's latest message to America on COVID uh, did not inspire optimism Tuesday as a milder Omicron variant continues to spread. Um, One America's chief White House correspondent, uh, Chanel Ryan, has more. And that's it? What's going on? Do we play this? Let's play this. Are you gonna work? Joe Biden's latest message to America on COVID did not inspire optimism on Tuesday as the milder Omicron variant continues to spread. But America's chief White House correspondent, Chanel Leone, has more. America entered the new year with the highest daily COVID infections since the start of the pandemic, over a million cases in one day. The Biden White House pinpointed blame squarely upon the nation's unvaccinated. There's no excuse, no excuse for anyone being unvaccinated. This continues to be a pandemic of the unvaccinated. So we gotta make more progress. A clear falsehood. The U.S. has since the onset of the milder Omicron variant recorded millions of breakthrough cases, infections of the vaccinated and boosted. To date, the U.S. has administered over 500 million vaccine doses and over 73% of the U.S. population is currently vaccinated with at least one dose. Biden's accusatory tone against the unvaccinated, along with the false statement that only the unvaccinated spread the virus, is in direct contradiction to his own CDC. Starting in April 2021, the CDC warned, quote, people can still get sick and possibly spread COVID-19 to others after being fully vaccinated. Oh, God. Yet Biden's message to the minority of Americans who are either naturally immune to the virus or choose not to vaccinate have been one of consistent belligerence and accusation. You've been patient, but our patience is wearing thin, and your refusal has cost all of us. The pandemic of the unvaccinated is a tragedy that is preventable. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. 
Three of dozens of instances, this White House has propagated messaging not grounded by actual science. Meanwhile, even top members of Biden's cabinet, vaccinated and boosted, have fallen ill with COVID, posing optics catastrophes for the Biden messaging. Further derailing Biden's blame the unvaccinated approach is state and federal data showing sharp spikes in breakthrough cases from the fully vaccinated, leading the CDC to update their guidelines yet again for Omicron on December 20. Quote, CDC expects that anyone with Omicron infection can spread the virus to others, even if they are vaccinated or don't have symptoms. Ultimately, the Biden White House's latest COVID message to America is this. Get vaccinated, get boosted, schools should remain open, and expect 500 million at-home COVID tests distributed free nationwide. Biden did not give a timeline for the distribution of tests and did not take questions from the press. Chanel Rion, One American News, The White House. Want to see more videos like this? Visit OANN.com for immediate access to all the clips you've been waiting to see. All right, so um, that actually just did the job for me. Um, the one thing that I do have to say is, uh, screw you, Biden. Dang. Um, it's not about the people choosing not to take the vaccine. It's about the vaccine itself. There have been numbers and numbers of people dying or even still contracting covid while they're vaccinated people react differently to vaccines i've told you guys this before and it's not fair to put everyone in one group and tell them everyone should go get vaccinated when everybody has pre-existing conditions that the vaccine might take advantage of so yeah So I guess this one, this next story, is also a video, so we're just going to play that. I am sorry that I can't read it, but then again, I'm sure y'all are exactly hearing me read, because I'm not a very good reader. Crime is on the rise in the U.S., and Manhattan's newly sworn-in district attorney is softening on crime. One America's Zach Peterson has more. Manhattan's district attorney, Alvin Bragg, is giving waiving pretrial detention for most crimes other than homicide. In a sweeping memo earlier this week, Bragg said his office will downgrade many felonies to misdemeanors and will not prosecute marijuana possessions, trespassing, resisting arrest, and prostitution, just to name a few. Additionally, Bragg's office will only seek pretrial detention for murder, certain violent felony and sex offenses, and public corruption cases. DA no more than 20 years in prison for any crime and never asks for life without parole. Go back 35 years, you saw sort of increased... Um uh, incarceration with not uh, necessarily leading to public safety benefits. The sweeping new policies come as New York City experiences soaring crime rates. NYPD statistics show that shootings, murders, and auto grand larceny have all doubled, while murders up 50% compared to 2019. For victims' right advocate Jennifer Harrison, New Yorkers should brace for a crime wave unlike any other. Alvin Bragg is paving the way for an even bigger bloodbath in New York City than what we have already seen. And let, let's face it, let's I agree to that. I mean, over 21 children were lost to violent crime, and that's just in New York City alone. Uh, 
it's disgusting what he's doing. New York City's police union president said these policies send the message that people can commit crimes and resist arrest without consequence. And police officers don't want to be sent out to enforce laws that the district attorney won't prosecute. There's nothing wrong with saying you want to decrease the amount of people in our prisons. There's nothing wrong with saying uh, you want to exercise stronger discretion in who we send to prison. Uh, but they're there who are committing violent felonies. According to reports, George Soros donated $1 million to Bragg's 2021 campaign. So handing get out of free jail cards as his first act in office will most likely be part of the course. On Monday, Bragg dropped the investigation into former Governor Andrew Cuomo over allegations he mishandled nursing homes during the initial coronavirus outbreak. And for him to stand up yesterday with other socialists advocating the release of more violent recidivists under parole reform, such as elder parole, the day after he decided to drop the investigation into Governor Cuomo's uh, mass murder of over 16,000 people pretending to care about elderly now, I mean, it's laughable. Zach Peterson, One American News. Want to see more videos like this? Visit ONN.com for immediate access to all the clips you've been waiting to see. Is this not all just one big, um, how do I say this without saying a cuss word? Crap show. We have Biden blaming the unvaccinated for spreading COVID virus, right? So that makes people who are scared of the virus or who are very sensitive about people not getting vaccinated, you know, the easily offended type, the the people that are vaccinated, um, that's going to get them to discriminate against unvaccinated. And then we have the DA saying, oh, well, felonies are now misdemeanors. That's just going to make everything so much worse in uh, New York. There's tons of riots going on because of what's going on there. And um, I don't think that, no, that wasn't responsible at all. But then again, George Soros is backing his butt, so... You know, George Soros is an asshole. Sorry, I don't mean to say that. He's not a good person. Not a good person. One of these days, I'll probably get into George Soros. But, you know, some things I just don't talk about because I don't want to get in trouble. You know. Anyway, next one. All right, we got to talk about the grandmother witch herself, Nancy Pelosi. So uh, let's talk about her real quick. And as far as I know, OAN decided to update their articles to videos. So we're just going to keep on playing the videos. That's easier for me. (laughs) What is Speaker Pelosi hiding about January 6th? What is today? It's January 6th. Okay. Congressman Rodney Davis is accusing House Speaker Nancy Pelosi of obstructing an a, a GOP-led investigation into the events leading up to the breach at the Capitol. One America's John Hines has more from Washington. 
Congressman Rodney Davis, you are the GOP point person on issues concerning the operation of the Capitol. As we come up on the one-year anniversary of the January 6th breach, you are demanding of Speaker Pelosi that she stop obstructing a GOP investigation into the Capitol building's vulnerabilities, citing many requests by the GOP for information about the Capitol breach directly from Mrs. Because Pelosi, it was organized by her. Ignored. What's going on, sir? Well, the Speaker's doing what the Speaker always does. It's rules for me and not for me. Uh, she's asked for thousands of thousands of communications that have been provided voluntarily by people no longer in government. But for the last year, she has personally and her own appointees have personally stopped us from doing our own job on our House Administration Committee, John. And that's to want, that's to, to figure out what went wrong leading up to January 6th, why the security posture was so bad. She has yet to allow for a preservation order that I sent almost a year ago for the Sergeant at Arms communications. Remember the Sergeant at Arms is her own political appointee. The Sergeant at Arms office said, go to the general counsel, another political appointee. And they said, no, you can't have what is rightfully, what should be rightfully shared with the oversight committee. It's absurd, we asked again yesterday. And the question is, what is she hiding? Is the speaker responsible for all aspects of what goes on in the Capitol? Is that uh, your estimation, sir? The speaker is the highest ranking official in the legislative branch. The speaker likes to say that she doesn't she doesn't actually run house operations. That's absurd. She talks about house operations on a regular basis. We have politicized COVID response. We have magnetometers that she gleefully announced around the chamber. Uh, we want to know what were the communications between the speaker's office and her own political appointee, Paul Irving, the sergeant at arms at the time of January 6th. There's conflicting testimony in the Senate investigation between then Chief Steve Sun and then Sergeant at Arms Paul Irving. When the senators asked Paul Irving to produce his proof, he said, well, I have to go to the general counsel. And the general counsel of the House, appointed by Speaker Pelosi, told the Senate and continues to tell us to go pound sand. We're not getting those communications. That's wrong. That's what the American people need to see because the capital posture is in no better position today, John. What do you know or what do you suspect may be the case with regard to these requests for the National Guard that uh, Speaker Pelosi either made or didn't make? What, what seems to be going on with that issue, do you suppose? Well, John, that's, the, that's where the conflicting testimony comes in between then-Sergeant-at-Arms Paul Irving and then-Chief of Police Steve Sun. Steve Sun has said in Senate investiga investigation hearings that he asked for the National Guard. Paul Irving, the sergeant at arms, said Steve Sun did not ask for the National Guard. There's been other testimony from people like uh, then General Walker, who ironically is now the House sergeant at arms, who said that Steve Sun did request the National Guard. What will prove who is lying and who is not are the communications from the House sergeant at arms. If we get those communications, we'll be able to get to the bottom of who's telling the truth. These are the types of things that I believe the speaker and her direct political appointees, the sergeant at arms and her general counsel are hiding, not just from the Republicans on the on their respective oversight committees, they're actually hiding them from the American people. Congressman Ronnie, uh -huh. uh, thank you very much for talking Tell to me something I don't know. On some of those issues surrounding uh, 
Uh, the speaker and her lack of acknowledgement of your investigation and your efforts to get to the bottom of January 6th. So thank you. Thank you for talking to us about America. Yeah. You want to know why she's not going to give any evidence of the January 6th uh, breach? It's because she organized it. She did. She wanted to make Trump look so bad to the point where nobody would elect him that next year. But then again, um, there are so many ballots that have not been counted, that have been destroyed, that had Trump, that people voted for Trump. I mean, come on. You really gonna be that evil? Anyway, let's move on. Let's move on. Alright, this uh, next segment is all stuff that I find interesting. So I'm just going to read some stuff that I find interesting. Let me go find some interesting stuff for y'all first though. Give me a minute. Okay, here's one. Because I love to sleep. So, um, why people jerk when they fall asleep? So, let's, let's do that real quick. Why your body sometimes jerks as you fall asleep? Ah, sleep, how nice. You turn off the lights, you close your weary eyes and sigh. You relax, your breathing slows down, your mind begins to wander off, fading into the nightly oblivion. Um, you stumble, trip, fall, your body jolts, and your leg kicks. Your heart pounds. Huh? What happened? Did you mistakenly fall asleep on a trap door? Nope. You simply experienced a hypnic jerk. A hypnic jerk or a sleep start is a phenomenon that occurs when your body transitions from wakefulness to sleep. It involves a sudden involuntary muscle twitch uh, and is frequently occupied by a falling or tripping sensation. It is a strange muscle spasm that happens when you're lying in bed, trying to sleep, and are suddenly jolted awake because you feel like you stumbled over something. Hypnic jerks are common and um, begin. Are benign, sorry. <laughs> uh, but what causes them? Well, no one really knows. It's still a mystery. However, researchers have come up with several hypotheses uh, that many explain, or that may explain with the following two being the most popular. Hypothesis one, your body twitches as daytime motor control is overridden by sleep paralysis. Jesus. Um, how is that bedfellow of yours, um that doesn't wake up pummeled and bruised if you have a dream about a boxing match. Um, is it because they're having a complimentary dream where they're blocking all your jabs, hooks, and other punches? Nope. Uh, the person sharing the bed with you doesn't get pummeled because when you are asleep, your body is paralyzed. Um, this is due to something called REM sleep uh, atona, atonia, which prevents you from acting out your dreams. REM atonia, 
works by inhibiting your motor neurons. It does also by raising the bar in the amount of electricity the brain must send down the motor neuron to trigger the movement. So for insurance, the little bit of electricity that your brain sends to your finger to make it move when you're awake is no longer enough when you're under REM sleep atonia. When you're asleep, your body is paralyzed. Okay. Um, now the thing is, is that there is no single on-off switch in your body that inhibits all your motor neurons at once. Instead, the subsystems of your brain that handle sleep need to wrestle um, control from the subsystems that handle wakefulness and sometimes during this wrestling match, some motor neurons are fired randomly causing your body to twitch. Okay. Hypothesis 2. Your brain thinks you're a monkey falling off a tree. Why? Why is that a sign? <laughs> okay, let's just keep reading. That was entertaining. I like the picture that goes with this too. It's cute. Um, imagine you're a monkey. <laughs> the last rays of sunlight have just disappeared behind the green forest canopy. It's getting dark and you stay, and you say to yourself... Time for sleep. Your brain begins to ooze some melatonin into your bloodstream and you yawn. Drowsy, you settle down and a, on a comfortable tree branch. Your eyelids become heavy and your breathing slows. Uh, the outside world begins to fade. Sounds become distant. At this point, the subconscious part of your brain takes over. Uh, perfect, it says. Time to boot up the dream images. Your dream or your brain initiates the dream procedure, and just when you're about to nod off completely, it notices that all the muscles have suddenly and unexpectedly relaxed. Holy banana. <laughs> your brain screams panic stricken. Mayday, mayday, we're in free fall. Damn it, wake up, wake up. Crap, brace yourself. Impact. I love this person who wrote this article. They had so much fun writing it. And I have so much fun reading it. Um, as, you, as you're probably aware, the humans descend from primates. No, they don't. Shut up. Uh, who lived in, and slept in trees. This means that we've uh, inherited the same monkey brain routines that no longer serve any purpose. Um, among them, according to monkey fall hypothesis uh, is a reflex that jolts you awake when you're falling from a tree. Yeah, no, that's kind of far-fetched and I don't believe in that. But anyway. Uh, you see, when a monkey is unexpectedly soaring through the air, its muscles no longer have to prop it up uh, so they go limp. Confusingly, however, your muscles go limp when you're sleeping. So when you drift off to sleep and your muscles relax to a little too fast, your groggy brain um, sometimes misinterprets this falling of a tree. Um, off a tree. As a result, your brain freaks out and triggers a reflex that startles you awake in the attempt to prepare for an imminent crash onto the forest floor. Uh, little does your brain know in its sleepy state that you have that you 
no longer live in trees. You know what the thing, uh, the thing I want to know, okay, is have you ever had, like, the best time at an amusement park, right? Like, the best time. You rode all of the, like, the roller coasters, you're screaming bloody murder, and you're just having the best time, right? That day when you fall asleep, you still feel the motion of the roller coaster as you fall asleep? Has anybody had that happen? I want to know. Is that just muscle memory of, like, the whole day? Because your muscles, like, contract and then relax because you're holding on to something? And you're being tossed to and fro. I would like to know the science behind that. Because I've experienced that. And it was weird. Okay. What's clear either way. Hypnic jerks are involuntary muscle contractions. That occur during the transition. From wakefulness to sleep. They're lost. They're the most likely to occur. If you're. uh, If you've been gulping down too much coffee have been stressed or sleep deprived or did uh, some vigorous exercise before bed. About 70% of people experience them, even so they are not well understood. Either way, hypnic jerks are benign and nothing to worry about. Uh, The worst that can happen is probably an occasional kick against the shin of whoever is sharing the bed with you. I liked that article. I enjoyed reading it. So, um, this next article is about Scandinavia. So, um, three Scandinavian principles that will help you live better. So, um... The reason why I decided to pick this article is because I love Scandinavia. I love the countries. I love how they live. They've, um, Scandinavia, that area has been the happiest, they've been the happiest countries in Europe, actually in the world. So, um, of course I want to know the three principles of how they live and how some of my listeners live because I know Norway, Sweden, Wait, do I have Scandinavia? I have all of Scandinavia except for Iceland that listen to me. God bless you. I love you guys so much. Y'all inspire me every day. Seriously, you do. Um, Iceland, I'm coming for you though. You will listen to me. I love you. Anyway, um, let me stop being an obsessed fangirl. I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) No, but um, Norway is the second country that, like, in second place that listens to me. So, I mean, besides the U.S., I guess Norway would be first. Uh, It's the main country that listens to me the most, and I appreciate that from the bottom of my heart. But um, I do have Sweden, Finland, and Denmark on that list, and I am very excited um, that you guys listen. But anyway... Uh, year after year, the five nations of Scandinavia seem to be ranked against, amongst um, the happiest in the world. That's, that is Denmark, Sweden, Norway, Finland, and Iceland. Uh, for some of us, this might not be much of a surprise, and yet, while the usual suspects in the happiness index seem to be common knowledge for many, 
few of us really know why. Yeah. Um, one of the main reasons why I do love Scandinavia is not just because they're the happiest countries in the world. I think it's also because they seem to be very separate from the rest of Europe. Um, they very much keep to themselves. They are very happy to be with one another. They don't have to be involved with any other countries that much. They are kind of self-sustainable uh, with each other. It's like, um, kind of like the it group of Europe, I feel like. Um, you don't really hear much of any controversy in Scandinavia. Um, when it comes to, like, general news, like, Finland, Sweden, Norway, Denmark, and Iceland don't really, uh, pop up on the radar that much, and, um, not only that, like, I've, res I've researched Iceland a lot about, you know, how they operate and everything, that's most, the, the most peaceful country I have ever learned about, really, um, they have no army, um, they let their babies kind of, like, chill outside because the crime rate is so low. Um, I guess it's, like, something that they just do. It's not something that is usually, um, it's not necessarily a tradition. It's just something that's normal there. They just let their babies kind of, like, sit outside the window of a restaurant while their mothers, like, you know, chill on the inside of the restaurant while they talk to their girlfriends. And it's fine. It's fine. The baby's chilling. The baby's fine. And, you know, that is the weirdest thing to me because I would never want to leave my kid outside my house, you know, especially when their baby's in a stroller. But the crime rate is so low there that they can just decide to do that. It's just something that they do. Um, in Iceland, the way people kind of bond is, you know, they go to restaurants just like everybody else, but they also go to, like, um, hot springs, and they kind of, um, the way they socialize is in, like, hot springs, and they travel everywhere, they hike, they love going outside, which is probably the most healthiest thing anyone can do is going outside and exploring, and it, I'm overwhelmed by how many things you can do in Iceland. And I know that I'm talking about Iceland a lot. It's because um, before I kind of researched everything about Norway and all the other countries, um, I was pretty um, enthralled by Iceland because of just how they live. How they live is just so different um, compared to America. But anyway... Um, in truth, we have a lot to learn from our Scandinavian neighbors, uh, especially since the USA and other Western countries are becoming more unhappy than ever before, says a report from Vox. Um, what's going on? Why are the Danes, Swedes, and all of the other, all of their Scandi friends uh, happier than ever, yet the rest of us are on a steady decline into misery. Perhaps it is something to do with uh, some of their principles, philosophies, and ways of life. Actually, I'm convinced it does. 
let's uh, take a look at a few in detail. Now, the first principle that they mention is in a native Danish language. It's it's in Danish. So um, I've heard that Danish is very hard to learn for a lot of people. It's very complicated. So forgive me if I mispronounce this. Okay. Heige. That's how we're going to say it. I apologize in advance. The Danish concept of Heige has taken the Western world by storm. It's been plastered all over every bookshelf, uh, magazine cover, and blog uh, post since 2016. Um, it's kind of funny. I don't think I've ever seen it. But then again, I don't read any magazines. Uh, I picked up a gorgeous little handbook on the subject uh, last winter written by uh, Miek Wicking. Um, in it, he describes Haiga as Haiga is about an atmosphere and an experience rather than about things. It is about being with the people we love, a feeling of home, a feeling that we are safe, that we are shielded from the world and allow ourselves to let our guard down. When I think of Haiga, I think of comfort, uh, togetherness, homeliness. Haiga is all of those things and more, uh, from soft lighting to indulgence in life's simple pleasures to sitting around a campfire with friends and telling stories. Um, as Ashley Hamer put it, Haiga is a uh, coziness of the soul. So it's basically being comfortable around the people that you let in your life, like that small circle. That's actually pretty interesting. Because um, I remember something from a band that I absolutely love. Um, they're an Irish band from Belfast and their name is uh, Ren Collective. And they kind of did like this spoken word about simplicity and how simplicity is basically clearing away an un un unobstructed view of life's pleasures, taking away all of the noise and all of the stigma and all of the things that we um, stimulate our brains with, like our, um, our phones, our computers, um, the television, all of that stuff. If we unplug ourselves and we're with the people that we love the most, the best experiences are right there in that nitty gritty, um, part of simplicity. So, um, it, it's very interesting that even the Irish have that sort of, um, uh, principle, but it's called simplicity. Um, what does this have to do with happiness, though? Well, firstly, Haiga is a key component of Denmark's culture, important um, element of Danish lifestyle. Danes place great importance on enjoying the simple things, like snuggling up together and uh, lighting a few candles. Oh, that's so cute! You guys are adorable! And I don't mean that in a, in a stereotypical way. That's like, I appreciate hearing that. Um, Haiga is, Haiga also has a lot to do with pleasure, a mindful pleasure. It is about enjoying the things that make us happy. That being said, said mindful pleasure isn't at, isn't all that big over in the West. 
Uh, there's no word for haiga in English. Oh, wow. Um, we place more of an emphasis on economic growth, career success, and being busy than we do on making time to sit down with the loved ones and enjoy each other's company. We're always rushing around to get to where we need to be, rarely taking a moment to just be. Uh, perhaps Haiga is part of the reason that the Danes are always so happy. And if that's the case, maybe we could all use a little more Haiga in our lives. I should say so. That's amazing. Spend an evening reading, go camping with your friends, watch a movie with your spouse with a, with a blanket and a fresh bottle of Merlot. Heck yeah. Um, think less about wealth, possessions, or status, and more about comfort, about togetherness, about happiness. The next one is le, uh, lagom. Uh, it's a Swedish word. Uh, it translates... It translate roughly into just the right amount. Okay. Um, we've all heard the phrase, everything in moderation. In essence, that is the... What? Hmm. Give me a minute. In essence, that's what Lagom means. Um, that most things are okay, even if they're bad for us, um, as long as we moderate our behavior. What does moderation mean, though? It means that we don't go overboard. It means that we stop at two biscuits rather than eating the entire packet. That's legume. Um, let's see. Keeping this simple little principle in mind uh, can help us all find balance. If we strive for just the right amount, uh, we can't really go wrong. So long as uh, we're on, I don't know why I'm talking like this. Give me a minute. So long as we're talking about sensible things, of course, Legom um, can't excuse murder, but it can justify the the day off uh, or cheat or a cheat meal. Okay. Everybody should be allowed enough, uh, but not too much. Even enough is okay, enough is good, too much will cause more pain than it's worth. Um, Lagom is about finding the point between occasional treat and unhealthy habits. Um, it's about recognizing that too much of anything, even our favorite things, can be bad for us. I remember someone saying, you know, when it comes to like health and eating and stuff like that, um, too much of a good thing is a bad thing. So, like, um, if you have a whole thing of apples, I mean, apples are really good for you, but if you eat the whole bowl of apples, you're gonna get diarrhea. <laughs> so, um, basically, yeah. Um, treating ourselves, uh, to an iced latte and a slice of cake will likely bring us more joy than sorrow, but if that becomes a daily habit, love handles and a uh, double chin will probably make us pretty unhappy. And those simple pleasures uh, won't be worth the satisfaction. Uh, even life's most wonderful things can cause us pain uh, in excess. The principle of Legom 
uh, can keep us in check, ensuring that we don't cross the line and turn our pleasures into a source of pain. Hmm. As De Democritus put it, um, throw moderation to the winds and the great pleasures bring the great pains. For the Swedes, Lagom is a lifestyle. It's a simple philosophy and that's what makes it so effective. The next time you're tempted to have more, remember Lagom. Let's see. Ask yourself if you've crossed the line. If you have, don't worry. Just make adjustments to keep things in balance. Let's see. Sisu. Um, let's see. While Haiga places more of an emphasis on enjoying life's pleasures, Sisu is the opposite. It's about persistence, pushing through challenges until they come to an end. As Finlandia University puts it, um, it is a Finnish term that can be roughly translated into English uh, as strength of will, determination, perseverance, and acting rationally in the face of adversity. Sisu is a mindset. Um, It's an approach to pain. It is the idea that even life's greatest challenges can overcome with grit. Can be overcome with grit perseverance, and tenacity. Um, It's about displaying courage and resoluteness in the face of adversity. Uh, We'll all experience hard times in our lives. I know them well. My fiancé has terminal... Oh, goodness. The person person who wrote this says, My fiancé has terminal brain cancer. And while she's very sick, uh, holding the concept of Sisu at the forefront of my mind pushes me to the or pushes me to keep going god bless you i hope your spouse is okay i hope uh hope she's doing well is it a that's sad anyway um as well as enduring uh struggle sisu is also about Uh, persevering even when the odds are stacked against us, like setting up business or becoming a writer. Uh, In the words of Amelia Lochte um, of Alto University in Helsinki, um, it is a special thing that is reserved for especially challenging moments when we feel that we uh, came to the end of our preconceived capacities you could say that Sisu is energy. Um, let's see. In truth, we all possess more courage than we think, even in times of sheer adversity, uh, situations that we never expect to be uh, able to cope with. We have uh, reserves of strength deep within us that we're even unaware of. Sisu encourages us encourages us to find those reserves, to believe in our inner strength, to keep moving forward. It teaches us that we can handle anything life throws at us, but first we must start believing in ourselves. The takeaway. Haiga is about enjoying life's pleasures. Lagom is about enjoying them in moderation. And Sisu is about uh, 
staying tough, uh, even in the balance of pleasure and persistence of pain, um, on the presence of pain, sorry, uh, together they form three simple ways of life taken directly from the perennially happy nations of the perennially happy, okay, nations of Scandinavia, three useful little principles that we can all begin using today. I really liked that. I enjoyed reading that a lot. I liked that. Alright, along with the three best principles of life, we have... What is it? The ten best places to live in the world. A front runner as or has been declared for the world's most expensive city, the world's most expensive city for expats. Uh, we have also been told which is the world's most beautiful city and which are the world's friendliest cities. Now the results are in for the uh, economist intelligence units global livability report um which ranks the best places for i'm sorry my husband's texting me too uh scoring 140 cities uh in five categories stability healthcare, culture environment education and infrastructure um this year uh, the ranking looks much different than the years past thanks to the large part of COVID-19. The report took... We're just going to keep... We're just going to go. Um, Brisbane, Australia. Let me... Uh, let me text my husband real quick. Cool. All right. Let's see. Brisbane, Australia. Overall, can you not pop up, friend? The world is huge. Don't miss any of it. I don't want to be signed up. No, thank you. We have in Chile tonight. Okay, thanks, honey, for letting me know. Um, I love that I'm being uh, interrupted. But anyway... Let's see. Brisbane, Australia. Let's see if I get uh, interrupted again. Uh, overall rating 92.4, stability 95, healthcare 100, uh, culture and environment 85.9, education 100, infrastructure 85.7. The nations of Oceania really cracked down on the travel restrictions early uh, on in the pandemic, barring most travelers from the region completely. As a result, citizens were able to resume normal life um, far sooner than the rest of the world uh, in late 2020. Case in point, Australia, which makes the biggest showing in the list of the year uh, with four cities uh, in the top ten. Starting out, the ranking is Brisbane, a sunny riverfront um, city. That logs 
uh, nearly 300 cloud-free days annually. Lovely weather aside, Brisbane scored a perfect 100 on both education and healthcare sectors, making it an easy pick for one of the best places to live in the world. Melbourne, Australia. Wait, how is that? How did you get from 10 to 8? You missed one, genius. We'll never know what number 9 was. Melbourne, Australia. Oh, it's a tie. I see. Okay. Um, overall rating, 92.5, stability, 95, healthcare, 83.3, uh, health, or culture and environment, 88.2, education, 100, infrastructure, 100. Um, although it slid in the ranks from number two, um, to number eight this year, Melbourne remains one of the most livable cities in Australia and the entire world. The city nabbed the number one spot for seven years in a row before dropping a place two years ago. The city shines with all of Australia's best personality traits, sophisticated, stylish, free-spirited, and continues to attract travelers with the world-class art and famed coffee and cuisine. Number eight again. Well, we'll just say this one's number eight and the last one's number nine, but Geneva, Switzerland. Listen, I'm mad at Switzerland. I'm sorry. I love the people in Switzerland, but the people that are trying to make those suicide machines, y'all need to stop and, and get a different job because you have blood on your hands and no one should have that. Anyway, um, overall rating 92.5, stability 95, uh, healthcare 100, Culture and environment, 84.5. Education, 83.3. And infrastructure, 96.4. Despite some social restrictions still in place, Switzerland takes up two spots in this year uh, in the list. The only two European cities to make the cut this year. Really? Because there's some interesting Scandinavian uh, cities that I would like to put on this list but okay isn't uh i know years ago i don't know if it's still a thing now but um isn't it really easy to get on social security in sweden i could be wrong but i remember hearing that on some sort of travel show um despite being one of the most expensive cities in the world geneva uh proves its livability with a perfect health care score um it is home to home of the Red Cross, after all. Um, the high numbers for stability inf- infrastructure, um, there is no denying the city's natural beauty either. It boasts expansive views of the Alps and Jura Mountains, and of course, is home to Lake Geneva, with a daily commute that uh, that is gorgeous. We can see... Uh, why people are eager to move. Alright. Zurich, Switzerland is number 7. 92.8 of overall rating, stability 95, healthcare 100, culture and environment 85.9, education 83.3, infrastructure 96.4. So, barely <clears throat> edging out Geneva is Zurich, Switzerland. Uh, largest city and economic hub Zurich may 
seem one-dimensional at first glance with a reputation for being hyper-efficient and severe, the fact that you'll find spotless streets and trains that always run on time is true. But the city is full of surprises. Some are come summertime, uh, you'll find citizens swimming in uh, the Limat River, playing volleyball in parks, and riding their bikes to grab a scoop of gelato. Zurich is also um, something of a haven for young creatives, which means you can find plenty of art galleries and fantastic restaurants along both banks. That's amazing. I kind of want to go there now. See, I have all that talk about being upset about Switzerland. And when I hear about art, I just end up wanting to go just to see the art galleries. You know? Anyway, Perth, Australia. So, overall rating 93.3, stability 95, healthcare 100, culture and environment 78.2, education 100, infrastructure 100. <clears throat> it's often called the most isolated city on earth, but don't write off Perth just yet. Uh, while the Australian metropolis is still on the up and up when it comes to culture and environment, it clearly makes up for those shortcomings when it comes to healthcare, education, and infrastructure. Um, and if The Economist included a section on beaches, we uh, expect, well, no, we suspect Perth would have scored perfectly there as well. Just check out Cotislow uh, Beach for proof. Okay. Uh, you can also find relatively new food and art scenes here with, or both of which make the remote city an enjoyable place to call home. Tokyo is also tied with some other city, which is cool because I like Tokyo. I would love to visit Japan. I never really had the um, interest to visit, to visit Asia. But um, Tokyo has kind of become such a secular city to where anybody can be welcome. And the way they live is kind of interesting too. Um, but overall rating out of 100 is 93.7. Uh, stability 100.0. Healthcare 100.0. Culture and environment 84.0. Uh, education 91.7, infrastructure 92.9. Japan took early steps to prevent the mass spread of the coronavirus, implementing stay-at-home orders and border closures uh, such, uh, much earlier than most of other countries that paired with an excellent healthcare system uh, explains why the country has two highly ranked cities in this year's list. Uh, Tokyo took a cultural hit in 2020, the postponed Summer Olympics uh, being the most obvious example. Um, but the city still managed to rise three spots from this year. Tokyo continues to lead by example when it comes to infrastructure, and experts predict the city will get even more incredible in the second half of 2021 and beyond. Of course, it's 2022, you guys. Like I... I, uh, 
I haven't said Happy New Year. Happy New Year, guys. We made it to 2022. Anyway, um, articles will be updated throughout the year. So um, we're looking at some last year stuff. Anyway, infrastructure aside, we'd be happy to live in Tokyo for the uh, dining alone. The Japanese capital uh, has more uh, Michelin stars than any other place on earth um, and is no surprise one of the world's best food destinations. That's pretty cool. Wellington, New Zealand. That's another tie. I think that's a tie with Tokyo. So, um, I have uh, friends from New Zealand, which, you know, they have a whole different lifestyle. They, they are about fitness and being the best that you can be and all of that stuff. So, 93.7. Uh, stability, 95.0. 91.7. Cultural uh, environment, 95.1. Uh, education, 100.0. Um, infrastructure, 89.3. So, similar to Australia, New Zealand is uh, strict border closings kept the case count low throughout the pandemic, uh, meaning cultural attractions and restaurants didn't remain shuttered for too long. Um, I'm tired of hearing about COVID. I'm sorry. No, I don't want to hear about COVID about, you know, in this, uh, article. Anyway, students were also able to continue going to school, giving cities like Wellington a 100% score on education. Uh, even if you don't have kiddos to worry about, the capital city is fun, quirky uh, place to live. Perfect for art lovers and foodies alike. Um, located on the southern tip of New Zealand's vastly underrated North Island, this city is flanked with hills on one side and the harbor that leads straight to the South Island um, on the other. And everything you've heard about uh, Kiwis being notoriously friendly. It's all true. Wait, what? Kiwis? What are you talking about? Listen, I- I'm not even gonna... Oh. Anyway, number three. <laughs> Adelaide, Australia. Okay. Um, overall rating of 100 out of 100, 94.0. Stability, 95.0. Uh, healthcare 100, um, culture and environment 83.8, education 100, infrastructure 96.4. We love visiting Adelaide for its world-class vineyards and natural vines or wines. I guess it would be vines too because, you know, wine comes from the grape. So, yeah, whatever. Uh, but it turns out this southern coastal city is a great place to take a permanent residence. The Economist uh, Intelligence Unit gave it a score of 100, the highest possible score uh, in both education and healthcare. Uh, Judging availability and quality of both, and the city fared very well in the other categories as well. We're we're sure the city is pristine beaches, world-class restaurants, and 
aforementioned wine scene uh, certainly add the livability factor. And this is what? Australia again? Cool. Osaka, Japan. We're back to Japan. Yay! Overall rating out of 100 is 94.2. Stability 100. Healthcare 100. Culture and environment 83.1. Uh, education 91.7. Infrastructure 96.4. Um, Japan's third largest city after Tokyo and Yokohama is often uh, overshadowed by the nation's capital, but there are plenty of reasons. Uh, it's become a destination on its own right. For starters, Osaka is one of the best food cities in all of Japan. Uh, Must-eat regional uh, specialties, including tokoyaki, oh no, takoyaki, battered fried octopus balls. Okay. And <laughs> um, on Oko... This is why I don't want to pronounce anything. I don't want to, like, offend anybody who's listening. Anyway, uh, okonomiyaki. Okonomiyaki. Grilled savory pancakes with a variety of additions. Yeah, that sounds much better than the deep battered fried octopus balls. Um, we also love the city for its baseball culture. Wow. Okay. Neon lit neighborhoods and... Uh, beautiful Osaka Castle. That's cute. I like that. Okay. Auckland, New Zealand is number one. 96 uh, is the overall rating. Stability is 95. Healthcare is 95.8. Culture and environment, 97.9. Education, 100. Infrastructure is 92.9. That's right, folks. Auckland is officially the best place to live in 2021, while the city is often... Uh, mistakenly used as little more than a transit stop and route to Queenstown, a slew of new urban renewal projects are making us all consider permanent relocation. Once neglected sections of the city's waterfront are being transformed into buzzing areas filled with green spaces and notable shopping addresses. Um, even before all of these uh, changes, Auckland has uh, long held a reputation for being popular spot for expats. Um, in fact, some 40% of its population had, uh, was born overseas beyond um, having beautiful places to hike, uh, sail, and surf within easy reach. The city has a diverse culinary scene to match its worldly population. Yeah. I like that. And that is all for today. I'm going to be watching Patch Adams. So, bye!